You are now listening to Raise the W, recorded at the School of Communication inside the Hickey Audio Lab on the beautiful campus of Western Michigan University. Come aboard and hear the people, stories, and impact of Western Michigan University. Here's your host, Tim Tarantine. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Raise the W, the podcast where we celebrate Western Michigan University, the people, the places, the projects, and the grit that makes this university the best in the land. Now, of course, I'm biased, but I'm supposed to be. It's my university, too. On the ride today, we have with us two people um, whose hearts are not only huge, but they've created a model to help address a real topic for the university and, quite frankly, in public higher education uh, around the country. Sherry Glazier and Karen Lehmans are here from the Invisible Need Project. Thanks for coming, ladies. Thank you. So we're going to dive into the invisible need. We've heard from Sherry before, if you all remember on the podcast. She uh, helps in the family area as well. She does and leads our family uh, engagement efforts for the university. And her and her partner in crime, Karen, uh, have conspired to do good on this campus. And it's not just doing good. It's actually addressing a real need. And uh, we can talk about that. Uh, on the podcast today. So, Karen, let me start with you. Um, Why did you choose Western? Well, totally uh, selfish reasons. I have four children. Yeah. Um, I have a a single daughter, and I have triplets, and they are three years apart. And when you have triplets, you either have triplets or you have a college savings plan for your children. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so I came to Western to make sure my kids could come to Western. Wow. And when you got here, what did you find? I found a wonderful, caring community. It was uh, bigger than I pictured, and I've lived in Kalamazoo my whole life. Yeah. But what I found behind, you know, driving onto campus was very different. Yeah, sure. And and when did you meet Sherry? Oh, gosh. Uh, when you first started? Yeah, when I first started, Sherry's office was actually located in Residence Life, which is my real job at yeah. the university. Yeah. So we met early on, which was really nice because uh, I got to see uh, a lot more about the university, knowing Sherry, because she has so much knowledge about the university. Yeah. So when it came to the conversation came up about a food pantry and an emergency relief fund, Sherry was the first person I thought of going to and saying, Sherry, I was thinking there's, yeah. there's this idea. <laughs> and my first, it, what I asked her was, if we sold some T-shirts, our goal was 1,000 T-shirts the first year. If we could sell 1,000 T-shirts, we thought, gosh, we'll have $10,000 to help students with in a year, which yeah. seemed amazing. And I went to Sherry and said, you have that family hospitality tent at Fall Welcome. If we could get these shirts together could we sell them out of your tent and sherry said of course but what else can we do sherry what were you thinking when this when this came up like what did what was what were you, what was on your mind when karen walks up to you with this well when karen first asked me to be a part of this or asked how to go about creating this project. And she had actually already named it, I think, at that point in time, because there are so many students that we have on this campus that have needs that are not readily apparent. And they are invisible. And so the Invisible Need Project was the perfect name for this. 
But when she first came to me in a hallway conversation, which is where all the work gets done, right? Sure. She shared a story about a student who had just arrived on campus, an international student, right before winter closure, Mm. who had asked for some help uh, setting up his meal plan. And she helped him set up his meal plan and then had to tell him, but the dining halls are closed for the next two weeks. And And he he said, I just need some food. Wow. And um, because it was close to the closure, we had had an office gathering to celebrate the holidays, and we had leftover food. So I bagged everything up in the refrigerator that I could find, made a sack, gave him my card, and said, I will be here for the next two days, but take this food and then call me or come back if you need more help. But I never saw him again. Mm. So then right after winter closure is when she approached me about starting a food pantry and selling the T-shirts. And what went through my mind is, okay, we have students out there that need our help. We can put together a proposal and take it to the university leadership and ask if we can do this. And so, and with the help of Jules Kunst, who is also in our founding committee member and also a graduate student, we did put together a proposal, took it to the university leadership, asked for two years to try this, and assured them that we weren't asking for any money, that we just wanted to try this as a volunteer entity and see how we could make this grow. And... When we opened the food pantry on September 15th of 2014, we had a student use it the very first day. Mm. And we started selling T-shirts that fall to start building up the emergency relief fund, and we were able to launch that in January of 2016. Karen, what did that international student do to you? What happened to you over that break? Well, to be honest, um, I had tried to get a food pantry on campus a few years prior to that and just Mm. didn't get the approval. Um, I think it's a new uh, area of interest in higher ed. People didn't think about those needs. And that international student, that story, as specific as it is, is really common across campus. And I I don't know if you're going to meet a staff member or a faculty member who hasn't had an interaction with a student that they know have needs that they can't meet. I've talked to staff members who would keep an extra can of soup in their drawer Mm -hmm. for students. And, um, you know, that's not a story that is specific to me or because I happen to work in the area I do. I think we all saw those students and didn't see the power of coming together to address it. I think, you know, demographics in higher education have shifted over the years and will continue to rapidly shift. But, you know, you when I hear you say this is new to higher ed, I just want to pull my hair out. I don't have any left, but what if I had some, I'd pull on it. And then I start to think, well, but wait a minute. For higher ed, it is a rather new phenomenon that if you're not rich, you went to college. Exactly. Like for most of the history of higher education, it was really only built for people with means. Right. Mm-hmm. It is a really a new a new phenomenon that students would be on a college campus who don't have financial support at home that's strong enough to deal with basic needs. 
Well, that's where the assumption right? is. The assumption the is, problem. is if yeah. you are on a college campus, you must have money. You must have <laughs> it's you, not true. your basic needs must be met. And the college pop the college student population, whether you're talking traditional students or contemporary students, sure. is a forgotten population in a lot of cases. Because when you look at early childhood, if you look at K through twelve, there are resources in place for those students in the public schools, particularly where they're yeah. getting breakfast, they're getting lunch, there's a backpack program for the weekends. And when students that are coming from an economically challenged background come into the college environment, how do they navigate through that? If there's they no can't free and afford reduced a meal lunch plan, line. right? Right. Yeah. right. There's, no, right. there's no readily available support. Sure. And so there is actually a national association, the College and University Food Bank Alliance, that started, I think, probably six or seven years ago. Mm -hmm. And when they started, they had 20 members. And now there are over 500. So that shows Good you gracious. across the country what a critical need this is that needs to be supported to help these students with their basic, basic needs. And it's not just food insecurity. It's also housing insecurity as well. So we've, we obviously at the university have stood up and said that your zip code and your family of origin should not block your opportunity. Right. right, that you yes. your mm -hmm. future shouldn't be dictated by your socioeconomic status as a as a young person. Well, you right? know the interesting thing about that is we have opened the doors to across the board. If you want to come to college, we want to help you make that happen. Yeah. But when you look at statistics, I think one of the startling things that I have seen is that the students who have struggled the most are students who come from middle class backgrounds. Tell me more. Students that come from middle class backgrounds, their parents are making ends meet right. when they're at home. Right. And their student is used to getting those needs met. And they come to school and parents' income didn't go up. No. Because their students away at and college. Got, and now you got double the expenses. Exactly. Or at least, you know. Yeah. And yeah. no experience on trying to find resources. Correct. How do you navigate a system your parents did Exactly. That. And so there's a very big risk for those middle class income students that come here um, because they don't know how to ask for help. And frankly, they're not going to qualify for a lot of Pell Grants and free money because their parents make just enough that they're comfortable at home. But sending your student away does not make you have a higher income. And those parents are, are sending their student away because they know that's probably the only chance for their child to live a comfortable life. Exactly. Right? And mm -hmm. so if, if we don't intervene, it seems to be a vicious cycle mm -hmm. right. where a student comes and drops out because of basic needs. Now you go back home with more debt. Exactly. More struggle, more challenge. Um, and we so don't want people to leave here not finishing, which I think is the goal that we try to keep in mind. We want to help students with those emergencies. We want to help feed them. But mostly we want you to finish. We yeah. want you to graduate because if you leave here without that diploma and debt, we've done a disservice. So let's let's just give the people an idea of what is within the umbrella of the project, the Invisible Need Project. There's food pantry work. There's other things that go on behind the scenes. Can you kind of just give us what's the scope of service or at least the buckets of service, if you will. What the umbrella includes at this point in time is we have a campus food pantry that's yeah. open to all current WMU students. And, and what's the need there? That's to supply food. 
And do so you we do we have food. enough food, or do we need help from we folks who are listening and others? Always, we always need more food, and okay. our 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 ongoing continuous needs are canned fruit, canned tuna, canned chicken, protein. Canned proteins and canned fruit. Yes, those mm-hmm. are the things that we always are running short of. So, the, but but we're grateful for any non-perishable food donations. The second thing is the Student Emergency Relief Fund, and that is funded through the sale of an annual game day T-shirt yes. that is available in the bookstore and will be available on May 31st for this year. And they give us back five dollars per every shirt sold to the Student Emergency Relief Fund. Awesome. The third component is the Stoffer Emergency Medical Fund, was, which is an endowment. It's actually a pre-existing endowment that helps students that might be uninsured or underinsured with their expenses at the Syndicuse Health Center. So again, they need to be current students, but if yeah. they have medical expenses at Syndicuse, they can ask for help with those medical expenses. And then the fourth component, which is still in the infancy stages, we are raising money for a fund called Books for Broncos. And what we want to do with that fund when we achieve enough money in it is to be able to help students, again, from that are struggling to get their textbooks. Because wow. what we have found through the Student Emergency Relief Fund is that a lot of students don't have money for their textbooks. And the way the Student Emergency Relief Fund is designed, it's for those expenses outside of the standard costs of education. So it doesn't apply to tuition, fees, right. textbooks, and basic costs. But we do see an extreme need for textbook support. So I've, I've heard a few things that are really important that I think for every, all of us to remember in that, A, it seems like this issue is not just for impoverished kids from urban communities, mm-hmm. right? All the code right. languages we use. This is a real issue across the board for families. And I'm proud of our university's commitment to continue to educate the sons and daughters of the state. I, that one of the reasons I came. I didn't want to come to a glass bubble. I wanted to come to a place that serves people. And and that's um, that's important to remember that this is this is an all of us kind of thing. And we need all hands on deck. We need donations of money. We need donations of food. We need donations of volunteerism, I'm guessing. You're Absolutely. gonna need some people engaged. Tell us more about those opportunities. And if anybody out there is moved by this segment and would like to endow a coordinator, what we yeah. would really, really like to do is take this beyond a volunteer committee into an actual department within the university where we have a dedicated person that's not a volunteer that has this as their full-time role within yeah. the university. Wow, sure. That would be huge for us. And that would help us be able to continue to expand and meeting student needs in a variety of ways. Absolutely. Yeah, we'd like to be a central access point for resources on campus. Mm -hmm. We don't want students to have to try to figure out which office do they go to for this help. Then I have to go to this office for this help. To be able to walk in a door, sit down face-to-face with somebody who can walk you through all of those resources at one time is our goal. Yeah. Well, Broncos and Bronco friends, you heard it. We've got work to do. Uh, there's a real need in Bronco country, and we can step up together to do so. If you go to mywmu.com slash raise the W, uh, and you can find the Invisible Need Project link to this podcast with a link to how you can give and get involved. And we need you to give and to get involved uh, with this work. 
as you've heard on this podcast, we have amazing students. Their promise and their dreams uh, are something uh, that is just fascinating, and we want to make sure that all of our students have the chance to succeed, and you can help us. Thank you, ladies, for all your hard work on the ground, for being uh, with us today on the podcast. We really appreciate you and your work. Thank you. Thank you. Go to mywu.com slash raise the W to find more information about this podcast and all the other stories that celebrate our great university. If you're out hanging out today with friends and family, tell them about Western, about the people, the places, and the impact that make Western great. If you do that, you'll help us all to raise the W.